G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Martin Niles is the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. On a Monday, we love to check in, getting an idea, getting the perspective, uh, getting some context where we're at on the political agenda. Martin Niles, a special welcome back to 2020. G'day, Neil. Good to be back. Hey, Martin, let's start with uh, what was a a big breaking news story later on Friday, uh, an update on the abortion-to-birth bill in South Australia. You followed it closely. In fact, you had visits to South Australia. You were a speaker at their March for Life. You were following this very, very closely. And uh, there's a few things to talk about here, but uh, give us your insights in the update on the passing of that bill in the lower house in South Australia. Well, you're right, Neil. It did pass, which is um, very sad. Uh, There was two very late night sittings. I think one of them went through till about three o'clock in the morning uh, as that debate raged on and on. And the government bought itself time to try and convince MPs to vote for the bill. So the sad thing is that the bill was being pushed by the Premier, Stephen Marshall, and being pushed by the Attorney General, Vicky Chapman. Uh, and so it was very, very difficult for members of the Liberal Party to oppose a bill that was being pushed by their own Premier and Attorney General. But the incredible thing was that um, we had the numbers uh, to defeat or to at least put an amendment in to completely ban late-term abortion, that is abortion after viability, which is considered to be 23 weeks. Uh, that was huge and would have been a first in all of Australia. Uh, and we were very optimistic about that, that we had the numbers, but sadly... Um, the at the last minute, some very, very, very tricky and very aggressive uh, and frankly merciless political games were played within the Liberal Party, uh, and they were just enough, just enough, to get just a couple of uh, MPs to split, uh, and that was enough for the uh, amendment to fail. And so late-term abortion was legalised in South Australia. So it was it was so close. But I do want to encourage people with a couple of things. It's a dreadful law. There's no getting around that. But what has happened is that as a result of the extended debate and as a result of the basically, well, frankly, unprecedented pressure that was exerted by uh, South Australians on politicians, the incredible number who called, who emailed, who visited, the rally of 5,000 people uh, in Pennington Gardens, the various gatherings outside Parliament. And I could go on and on. I'm just blown away going down to Adelaide to see what was happening and the outpouring of concern. A number of amendments were passed. So even though the political games meant that some of those politicians split away from banning late-term abortion, they did vote for another number of other amendments. And, and the result is that even though the bill in South Australia is obviously terrible and evil, at the same time, uh, it is the best uh, of a bunch of bad bills in Australia. So late-term abortion is legislated. That is abortion right up to the point of birth now in Tasmania, ACT, Victoria, Queensland, New South Wales, and now South Australia. 
but South Australia has the best regime by far, if I could put it that way. It's, it's not good, but it's the best by far. So Martin, let's go through are, some, of yeah. these, uh, some of these amendments and how they came out, because I know listeners uh, will be concerned about this, but uh, what you're saying is even though it's a dark cloud and a dreadful piece of legislation uh, that uh, abortion to birth, uh, which is just following in the footsteps of so many other governments around the nation, at least here there is something to say there is a slight silver lining uh, because there's a number of amendments that were in fact achieved. Let's go through some of those. Which ones are the most important? Well, first of all, sex selection abortion uh, has been outlawed. So one of the emerging problems is that babies are aborted because they're girls um, and that is no longer a valid reason to obtain an abortion. Uh, also, there is a duty of care prescribed in the legislation to uh, health practitioners that they have a duty of care to any babies that are born alive as a result of attempted abortions or failed abortions. Now, that is a real phenomenon. Uh, there are several dozen babies born every year uh, in some states where they're born alive and simply left to die because they were supposed to be aborted. And that's very tragic, very sad. These are late-term babies that are viable. In South Australia, there is a duty of care written into the legislation, which is a good, good step. Uh, there's also, um, for late-term abortions, that is abortions after 23 weeks, viable babies, there's a range of considerations which doctors have to take into account, which are not in any of the other um, laws around the country. And there's quite a few, so I can't go through them all. It's, it's a long list. But I think the highlight for me in that is that the health practitioner must consider whether the patient, the, the person seeking the abortion, the woman uh, or the girl, is a minor, uh, or whether she is trafficked, or whether there has been any kind of abuse. That's very, very significant, because we know that this is a huge problem. Um, there are cases of abuse, there's cases of minors coming into clinics, there's cases of trafficking victims and all this kind of thing. Uh, and the cowboy approach to abortion in many places is that they're not picked up. So now there is a duty to consider that, which is, which is going to make a difference. Uh, there's also mandatory counselling to be given to women uh, who are seeking abortions, and that's a really big one, uh, that all women who go seek, receive abortions must have independent counselling. Uh, and also there are some provisions, there's some stronger provisions around conscientious objection. So if a doctor doesn't want to perform an abortion, um, they, uh, they, have much, uh, they have a greater ability to conscientiously object to not only doing the abortion, but referring the patient to somebody who will, which in other states they have to refer a patient to someone who will, which is kind of not much of a conscientious objection. So I go through all of those things just to show that the movement, the pressure, it did achieve something, uh, and it achieved some very good things that will make a difference. Uh, and for me, I see these abortion birth legislation uh, laws going all the way around Australia, and I see the resistance getting stronger in each successive state to the point now where the resistance in South Australia was enough to actually make a substantial difference to the law. And that, to me, is amazing progress. Uh, and I can see that if we continue to stand up and do good, if we continue to act with concerted action, the cumulative effect of the movement we are building will be such that we can create more changes into the future. We've got to remember these aren't flash-in-the-pan things. These are cumulative things. It takes time. It takes sustained effort uh, to get in front of politicians and make them see us and notice us. South Australia, uh, look, it turned out um, poorly, and yet there's 
a very, very serious silver lining here in the sense that what we did made a difference. Martin, of course, as it passes the lower house in South Australia, there is an upper house that it still needs to go through before it becomes law. Uh, Is there a chance there could be some more meaningful amendments or even that some of those good amendments that you're talking about could even be reversed in an upper house debate? What are your thoughts for, uh, for what's still to come? Yeah, I think it's very likely that the bill will remain as it is as it goes through the upper house. But, uh, yeah, there are those who will try to make it better um, and we will see how that goes. It's not out of the question. Uh, But by extension, there may be, and we haven't heard anything on this front, but there may be those who try and make it worse. Uh, And so it's probably worth continuing to pray about that, that the good work that was done in the lower house through the advocacy of various groups and the politicians that held the line and did a great job and stayed up all night, uh, that that good work is not undone when it comes to the upper house. I do want to note, by the way, that the reason we had these achievements is because so many people worked so hard. And there were key politicians who were absolute champions. There was our state director, Christopher Broyer, who stayed up all night, who was doing all sorts of things, who was down at the parliament, who was working hard. But there was also our supporters and the supporters of other movements who just continued to do what they could uh, and what they could made a difference. So I just want to acknowledge that. Uh, and say, yep, we've done some good stuff and we hope that it gets through the upper house in one piece. I think it will, uh, but we can pray about that. Well, there's still plenty more to talk about when it comes to what has happened in South Australia, but let's move on because there's other big issues to talk about. Uh, Let's just give a little attention for a few moments. Uh, Your thoughts on what happened last week, the Facebook ban on Australian news media, and of course that affected uh, not only news media, business, and uh, lots of not-for-profits and charities uh, also affected by that. Uh, What are your thoughts for what happened last week? Well, I'm conflicted on this one, Neil, because I can I can see both sides of the issue. So the concern I have, however, is I think a concern that everybody was presented with uh, last week, which is that Facebook's ban was very heavy handed. It went very, very far. Um, uh, their, their dispute really is with the Australian government and with the mainstream media outlets. Uh, Their dispute is not with uh, non-mainstream media outlets or online media or their dispute is not with Vision Radio. Their dispute is not with, you know, there's there's countless groups that are not actually in a dispute with Facebook who suffered as a result of what Facebook did. Now, whether or not that will uh, be lifted and whether or not that will be freed up in time remains to be seen. So I don't like the way that they did that. They They went too far with their ban. However, and look, It blows me away that I'm going to say something in agreement with Mark Zuckerberg. I just really can't believe it. But I am. Mark this day. (laughs) Because I think that the actual dispute that Mark Zuckerberg has with the Australian government is completely legitimate. What people uh, don't realise is that this is because of some laws that the Australian government are trying to pass called the Australian Media, the Media Bargaining Code. And the Media Bargaining Code is very, very unreasonable. Basically what it does is it forces Facebook to pay uh, the mainstream media outlets for setting up shop on Facebook. So all of us set up shop on Facebook because it benefits us. It drives traffic to our websites. It gets greater reach. It reaches more people. You know, the mainstream media get people driven into their paywalls and they get more subscribers or they can create content on Facebook and they can monetize it. They can earn more money. So, you know, it's a benefit. That's why people are there. That's why we're online. You know, it's got some benefit for us. 
But the mainstream media outlets are financially struggling uh, and they're sort of worried they're going to go the way of the dinosaur. And they might, you know, video stores went the way of the dinosaur as well, you know, but we all survived because somebody else came along and innovated and was flexible uh, and created a new business model that served the need in better ways. And I'm always sitting there thinking, well, if the mainstream media was to go, someone else will come along and they'll be more innovative and they'll take advantage of new technology and they'll do the things that the mainstream media did that people value. They'll just do them better. But of course, the mainstream media is really, really in bed with the government. They're very, very connected uh, and they've got strong relationships. So they've said to the government, you need to save us. And so the government's trying to pass a law that basically says, well, if ABC set up a Facebook page, Facebook has to pay them great lumps of money for the privilege of having them on the platform. And I just find that to be insane. It's so, so, so weird and bizarre. And I just think unfair. No one likes Facebook. I get it. And there's other issues like paying tax and all that. But this... This doesn't make sense. So I'm actually against the government on this, uh, and I'm in favour of Facebook on the issue. I think Facebook's action's gone too far, and I think they've, innocent players have been caught up in what they've done, and that's not good. Uh, and I don't like the fact they've got all this power. Fine, I understand all those arguments. However, I think the media bargaining code is crazy, absolutely crazy. And, um, and uh, you'll see the media are going to go very, very negative on Facebook, and we'll get article after article after article criticising them from here to kingdom come. And it's because the media is cranky with them. <laughs> That's all it is. <laughs> and uh, and I, I, I really, I'm, I'm on Facebook's side. So mark this day, folks. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg may ban me one day from his platform, and yet I agreed with him on this day. <laughs> all right. But okay, as you say, the government is the one that Zuckerberg has the dispute with. Uh, but we yep. might all be concerned about power issues and uh, algorithmic ways that uh, the sorts of news stories are fed to the public. Uh, all of those sorts of things. I wonder whether you've got any thoughts on uh, how those things may be or ought be or maybe they shouldn't at all be regulated because uh, the idea of cancelling world leaders or uh, or uh, choosing mm. to support one side of ideological politics over another, uh, there's an awful lot of power in there that people have a problem with the big tech companies. Uh, any thoughts yeah. there about, you know, as the government might be talking about the, these sorts of things by way of a business dispute, uh, these other issues are still in play. Any thoughts here, Martin? Well, sure. So rather than propping up legacy media, um, you know, which uh, I think is crazy, um, I think what the government should be doing is recognising what we've all come to realise, which is that Facebook is now the public square. Um, and that's how it functions. It's not just another commercial business. It, it really isn't. It is the it, on the online world. There's this thing called winner takes all, where basically you get one platform who is the winner and everyone signs up to it. And for Facebook, well, Facebook is the winner in its sphere. There's nothing to compete with it. Uh, and it is the public square. And so if the Australian government want to uh, put meaningful regulations in place to uh, protect the public square, then they could put in regulations that force Facebook to obey the basic principles of the public square, like free speech like freedom of religion, freedom of thought, freedom of expression, this kind of thing. Because that's what the Australian public square is built on. And so if Facebook is going to operate in Australia and for Australians, its public square should abide by the same principles that the Australian public square abides by. Uh, and that's where it comes to things like you mentioned, the censoring, the deletion of a president's account, or the fact that many of us, like myself, None of us expect to be, you know, we're all, we don't expect to be on Facebook for a long time. We are uh, anticipating the day 
if things continue to go as they are, when we get banned, um, because Facebook is becoming more and more ideological, they're becoming more and more critical of conservatives, and they're making moves behind the scenes that make us very concerned, and many, many accounts have been uh, deleted. So the Australian government should make free speech changes uh, to ensure that Facebook behaves like a good custodian of the public square. Uh, And that's where I think the government regulation issues are uh, and where the government should focus its time. And I completely agree with the concern that Facebook has far too much power over these matters. They have too much power over public conversation. They have too much power to censor. They have too much power to promote viewpoints that they like and dislike. Um, And if that was to be regulated so that they they treated everyone fairly, I'd be completely in support of that. I've read a number of articles where people are, or there is a campaign to, in fact, cancel Facebook. The idea that, uh, you know, get out of Facebook if you don't agree with what they do. Is there, do you think, Martin, a Christian perspective on that? Because sometimes people are too quick to uh, jump out of the ship, uh, but then have no uh, influence on on what happens. Uh, What are your thoughts here for Christians engaging on Facebook, even at the risk uh, that there might be some sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, way that there's a backlash against them if they say the wrong thing? Yeah, look, I think that at the moment, Facebook remains the world's number one social media platform by a country mile. Uh, And at the moment, certainly we encounter the fact that you can reach many, many, many millions of people through Facebook. um, And they're not censoring everybody yet. Uh, They're not going after, you know, there's certain key figures that they've stuck their knife into. But uh, most of us have the freedom to continue to act And the reality is we want to talk to as many people as possible. So, so long as that's allowed, I say stay there. I often say to people, don't jump, wait till you're pushed. Uh, And I think that that's what we should do. We should be salt and light in every sphere we can until we're pushed out Uh, or until uh, somebody comes along and invents another social media platform that is uh, nearly as popular or grows rapidly in popularity, which we're not seeing yet. There's nothing that is quite on the scale of Facebook. And I don't think there will be for some time. I think Facebook will have to do a lot more things that upset a lot more people before people break old habits. You know, old habits die hard. And before they say, oh, let's look at someone else uh, and, and, and move on. But that isn't happening at the moment. And whilst we talk about the fact that, you know, a lot of us may be banned down the track or Facebook censorship, we've seen how bad it can be and it might get worse. Well, at the moment, we're, we're doing all right. You know, we've got good reach, we've got a good presence on the platform, and there's many millions of people who can encounter the truth and encounter what we're putting up. So we're going to continue to do that. So I wouldn't cancel Facebook just yet, um, but uh, I would keep a, an, an eye out for alternative opportunities as well. So you could do the two things in tandem, perhaps, which is what I'm doing. So, for example, I'm on a conservative social media platform called Parler, which is up and coming. Uh, But I'm doing both because uh, I want to reach as many people as possible. Okay, Uh, we're pretty well out of time. Just to mention, there's a couple of campaigns that uh, listeners can participate in. Uh, The last week for people in New South Wales to support Mark Latham's bill, uh, the one talking around uh, a bill that would ban schools from teaching about gender fluidity and force schools to consult with parents uh, before teaching anything that veers uh, into the territory of core values. Uh, so let me just point people to the ACL website where you'll find a link. You can find out about that. Uh, as I say, the last week before uh, that one, uh, you, you've got that uh, just this week to, to get in a uh, to be part of that. 
uh, make a submission. And also, uh, the Brisbane City Council approved Drag Queen Storytime in council libraries. There'll be a link on the ACL website too, and you can sign a petition there. Uh, just quickly, Martin, before I let you go, um, you're going to be speaking, one of the speakers at this upcoming weekend, the Church and State Summit. Uh, you're particularly going to be talking through uh, an issue which is uh, which is important for a lot of Christians. Uh, you're talking about uh, when the law turns against Christianity. Uh, just a, a quick little insight into the sorts of things you'll be talking about at the Church and State Summit. Yeah, so that's this. I'll be there this Saturday, the 27th. It starts on Friday, the 26th. My session is titled "Living in the Legislative Crosshairs." Um, and that really refers to the sorts of laws we're starting to see, for example, in Victoria, where certain acts of basic Christianity are now acts that could get you in trouble with the law. Uh, I want to look at what that means for Christians, uh, how many more of those laws we can expect, and how we should decide to live now for when the future starts to unfold, when some of the things we want to do and are called by Christ himself to do become criminal acts or outlawed acts, what should we do? So that's really what my talk is going to be all about. So I'd love to see as many people there as possible on Saturday the 27th in Brisbane. Uh, and the website to register, I believe, is churchandstate.com.au. Okay, register for the Church and State Summit. If you can be there or find out how you can stream or get a hold of those sessions uh, afterwards as well. Martin Isles is Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. Uh, just acl.org.au, you'll find out great insight, uh, great resources. Uh, you'll find the links to those submissions where you can do something actively as a Christian believer today. Uh, Martin, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts once again with us on 2020. Thanks again, Neil. I'll see you next week. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.